Bonjour, hi, and welcome to episode two of the Step Over Podcast. My name is Josh. Thanks for joining. We've got a packed episode today. We've got not one, but two great chats coming up. Double chat. Part one, chat one, uh, is with Eddie Bidhin, who is the co-founder of 613 Sports. You're definitely familiar with that website uh, if you're a sports fan at all in Ottawa. And if somehow you've missed it, 613 Sports, look it up. Eddie's one of those guys who, to be honest, makes me a little angry because he's both more uh, talented and driven and younger uh, than I will ever be, uh, which it's uh, kind of infuriating, to be honest, to, to have all three of those things kind of just uh, shoving that in my face. I give him a pass for this chat. So we're going to talk a bit about 613 Sports, how that got going, uh, talk some soccer. And as a bonus, uh, we also solved the Hans Island dispute between Canada and the Dutch. So soccer and diplomacy all in one nice little conversation. And then following that, part two, chat two, we're chatting with Nicholas Ryan from Atletico Ottawa. We're going to learn a bit about uh, the Powered by Atletico program. That's kind of his baby right now. Um, At the time that we talked, Ottawa South United, as well as the Ottawa City Soccer Club, had both been announced as partners. Since then, the Gloucester Hornets have also been announced as partners. So all three area clubs are now under the Powered by Atletico umbrella. So you're going to hear us chat about what exactly that means for soccer in Ottawa. It seems like Atletico is really doing a lot to entrench themselves into the soccer community. And uh, we'll also ask him a bit about some of the roster updates. There's players who are confirmed returning and some notables who uh, aren't coming back this year. So we'll talk about that. Um, There's rumors of a leaked full lineup. Kind of wish that had been leaked when I talked to Nick. Could have asked him about that, but you know, what are you going to do? Anyways, two great chats coming up. First up, Eddie Benin from 613 Sports. Play button now. Hey, thanks for joining. No problem. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give you a bit of an introduction. How does that sound? Sounds good with me. Okay. Uh, so, Eddie, um, you are the founder of 613 Sports. Yeah, co-founder. All right, co-founder. Um, so, you've done, uh, you know, podcasts, videos, um, the website, you know, which, uh, you know, it's become really like, you know, it's become a pretty big part of, of uh, you know, the, the sports scene in Ottawa. Um, uh, and how old are you right now? I'm 21. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. When I was 21, I was like, maybe I'll do teaching. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, this happened as it is. It's it's weird. You've had 63 sports for what, like three years? Since uh, 2017. Oh my God. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, that's uh, that's just really impressive. so obviously, you know, I got a lot to learn from you. Uh, I guess I want to ask you, uh, like, why did you, like, why did you start 613 Sports? Yeah, so we, we, my friend and I, Cameron, co-founders, we decided that we wanted to, you know, try to get our foot into media, a sports media in high school. And we contacted Ian Mendes for any tips. And he said to create a blog. So we decided, you know, there's a lot of sense blogs, uh, a lot of specific blogs, but there's nothing about the sports scene in general. So we decided to create uh, 613 Sports. And then we realized that all the other sports teams, like the soccer teams and when we had baseball, there was like little to no coverage with them from any newspapers and stuff. So we decided to jump on that and start making our own coverage. And surprisingly, a lot of people started following us. Remember with the Ottawa Fury, we quickly became like the number one blog there. And it's just taken off from now. So now we're just, our whole goal is just providing content for teams that don't really receive the mainstream media attention. Um, you know, it must've been like a, a, a steep learning curve, you know, you're starting a brand new blog. What were some of the first things that you, that you learned? Yeah. I, we quickly learned that connections are everything in, in this thing about with, with networks and building tips and getting, you know, guest, guest writers. And I remember we first started writing ourselves and then we realized like, Hey, like maybe other people would like to help write for us. And we asked around in different communities and we, we got, you know, Reblox writers and, some OHL writers. And as we realized that, you know, more people actually want to write, they just don't have somewhere to write. We just like, all right, this is our platform. This is you. You're the main show here. But it was hard breaking into the scene, getting consistent views. Um, I mean, I, I honestly still don't even know how we built the, our fan base right now. It just came out of nowhere, but we just slowly, you know, just kept being consistent. And that was our whole thing we learned quickly on this consistency is what got us pretty successful like was making connections something that you were you know just kind of good at from the start uh or or have you kind of like learned how to 
kind of open some doors for yourself? Yeah, I feel like I'm pretty open person. I, I build connections pretty fast. So I, I felt that me personally, just growing, going on Twitter, using the account and just hitting up different people and just having conversations. It was pretty easy for me. Um, I can't really speak from my friend. I think he had a little bit harder time, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was pretty easy to me. Pretty fun too, to meet new people and see that there's actually a huge sports media world that I never even knew about until I started this blog. Like has there been anything that's been, uh, I guess you're four years in now to it, right? Yeah. Um, has there been anything that's kind of like surprised you about, about uh, this project of yours? I think it's how much people actually appreciate the content. Like, sometimes when I'm writing stuff, I'm like, okay, who's going to actually read this? And then I post it and people are like dissecting the article and having debates about it. And I'm like, like really, that's about me. Like, cause I'm, we're so used to seeing on TV, like actual professionals and people are like learning from me. I remember I interviewed Nick Cuesiloni from Carlton before the CPL draft. And when the CPL draft happened, I saw people were quoting my own article. I'm like, wow, like, that feels pretty cool. I was not expecting that. Yeah, I mean, that's a neat feeling, eh? Yeah. So this is a soccer podcast that uh, you've kindly joined. Um, so do you play? Yeah, I play. I think I'm starting up again next week, Tuesday. I've been playing okay. all my life. So. Okay. It's like what leagues are you joining? Uh, 47s. Uh, what's your favorite dome to play? Dome. Yeah. I grew up playing in Louis Riel Dome. I never played in that one. How does that compare to some of the ones that kind of like you know, West End or like center of the city. Yeah. I mean, I think the best one personally, well, no, there's, there's one in U Ottawa, which is where this 47s are. That, that one's all right. Ben Franklin one is one of the best. Like that one. I really enjoy. That's uh, you like that oh, one. eh? that's a really good one for sure. I like the quality of that field, but I find mm-hmm. that there's no airflow. I always feel like I'm just like, yes, it's like so, my sweat just yes. like, just sticks to, yeah. you know, just sticks. Yeah. It's like that. It, it, same with Lurie. But yeah, Lurie. Yeah. I grew up playing there a lot. It's been, big there's a, I remember there's a tracker around there so there's a lot of things going on when we used to play soccer games it's like really high energy because there's people running track meets and stuff and just so much energy around there so it was a really entertaining place to play in right on uh where do you usually play like um you like what position I started off as a defender and I've slowly moved up to CDM center defensive mid okay right on yeah um usually like joining on the attack or anything like that yeah I like to surprise with some long shots sometimes it goes in most of the time yeah. misses but that's my only offense. I usually play deep. <laughs> uh, and like, if I don't surprise the goalie with like a nice long shot, uh, I'm not uh, like, I think inside the box I've scored um, because someone shot it off my ass <laughs> and it just bounced in. And that's, that's, that, that's my go-to. Like if it was off my boot. It's, it's going wide. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, I've scored some goals from far and that's my little pride, but a lot of times you put me in front of the net, I'll, I'll probably miss it. <laughs> uh, so you're born and raised in Ottawa. Yep um so in terms of uh soccer as a as a spectator you know uh event um like what was your what was your first experience like did you watch any of the any of the semi-pro teams before the fury started or or is fury your kind of first experience with that i remember when i was small when the u21 world cup was in ottawa i remember watching a couple games of lansdowne and that was like the first time really i saw you know, soccer here in Ottawa. And I mean, growing up, I remember that was the capital city in the really short Canadian league. And I remember I was a ball boy for one of the games, but I never really followed it. I was, yeah, it was against, I remember it was against Montreal impact. That's all I remember the impact fans chanting in the back. And I thought they were crazy Frenchies, but (laughs) it was cool. It was a cool experience. And then all of a sudden they disappeared the next year. I'm like, Oh, like right when I wanted to get into it there, there wasn't there. And when Ottawa Fury came, that was, that's when I really, got into you know the Ottawa sports professional scene and then here we are now like your experience with the fury um was there anything that you learned you know uh you're know, working with them you know was there anything about the soccer business kind of writing about that that you that you learned while the fury was was here yeah fury really showed that canadian soccer has a tendency to market it differently than how soccer is supposed to be marketed. It's more, they tried the hockey strategy or football strategy of just having, make it a family, you know, a family friendly event or having to create events to draw people in like a Harry Potter game. They were Avengers. And they didn't really realize that soccer is a sport where it kind of creates its own entertainment. The fans bring it themselves. The people come there for the soccer game, not really for other things. And the game day experience wasn't really that. I mean, just simple things as putting the supporter section, on the other side of the field or 
keeping it away from the fans. It's like in a, in a city full of so many immigrants that follow leagues around the world, they expect something specific with soccer. And when they came to the game experience, it, it just didn't feel like it. It, it. it didn't feel like a professional soccer match. And that kind of drew people away. And that's what I really focused on. And, didn't like about the Furies that they didn't really focus on that marketing that, Hey, this is a professional soccer. We're going to, you know, harness that European environment, like the culture that people expect here, but it never really happened. I found in the first like year or two, I thought, I thought they actually kind of did a good job with that. Um, yeah. And then kind of like veered away. Like, did you find that? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the thing, the first game they had 14,000 people and the fans and, like, and the thing that, that's what really bugged me that Ottawa, there's so many soccer fans here, but they refuse to go there because they go to the Fury game and they're like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. The simple thing as a supporter section, I remember my first Fury game I went to watch live, the supporter section was behind the net on bleachers. And then the next year we're on the other side. And I'm like, when we're, when you're only pulling around like three, four, 5,000 fans, why are you separating people that much? And I just never understood that. Like get people close, create a, a hostile environment. And I saw it when the Canadian Premier League was created and we played against Halifax, those games were so intense that high energy, it was an actual soccer town. And I mean, I think Atletico Ottawa has done a great job so far with building that environment. And the fans seem to be a lot more into the team than with the Fury. That's fair. Yeah. So you never at a game where, you know, where the supporters were in section W, eh? No. Yeah, no, I found that was um, like, it was great because I was never, you know, I've never been, uh, you know, one of the crazy supporters, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but also I was, I was kind of new, new to all that. Um, mm. So it was a little bit intimidating and it was nice being able to kind of like, you know, drift in and out uh, and kind of enjoy the crazy atmosphere there and then go back to my seat, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. And like, I'm sure that, that those groups, uh, gain more you know, more people while they were kind of amongst the rest of the fans rather than being separated you know like it must have been just like yeah so disappointing for them to to not have that access mm-hmm. to to more potential so, yeah know, it, i mean it's hard right because if you're on the other side of the field i mean if you're new and you're not really you don't know anyone there it's kind of awkward to go walk across the, to somewhere else and be with people you don't know versus you know like your section W, the sections around them, they're not in the section, but they're still around there and they can experience it. Or you can, like you said, walk in, stay for a bit and walk up back out instead of, well, you're on the other side of the field. You're gonna have to walk over the bridge or walk around and go back. And it's just, it, they felt excluded. And I mean, supporter section is a huge part of soccer. I mean, exactly, the ultras yeah. and it just something simple as that is like, why is it separated? Like that's kind of separating the sport and the fans. It felt kind of like they were like, monkeys on display you know yeah. as opposed to you know being part of the circus exactly because i mean yeah. the sports section yes they create the noise but they're also like the leaders that get the rest of the crowd going i mean because the crowd is bigger than the supporter section in anything you look i mean you go to european the sports section is one small thing but they get everyone going and i mean at the end of the day if you just see like people are like who are those people across the field just waving their flags like weirdos there's not, there's nothing you can't even hear them half the time it's kind of just it has really confused me. I never understood why they did that, especially because the supporters group kept asking, like, can we please go back? And they said, no. And yeah. it was a whole mess. No, I agree. I never understood that. And uh, yeah, like, I really hope that, that Atletico Ottawa, like it sounds like based on, um, based on the seating charts that they gave up before, you know, everything hit, mm-hmm. before everything hit the fan, uh, you know, they're, they're moving supporters back with the rest of the fans. Yep. Um, so I'm really curious to see like, like ages, how many people they're able to draw once we're able to actually like get people in and uh, you know, hopefully they can get that kind of feeling of people gravitating towards, towards the supporter atmosphere, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, so the CPL season, um, we don't even know if it's going to, like, we don't know if it's going to happen. Like we don't know, like, n- like no one seems to know what exactly is going to, is going to happen. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts, like what, like, what do you think it might look like? Like, what do you think they might do? Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, they first announced that they plan to open up on Victoria Day weekend. And then Jeff Hunt comes out saying like, well, if we can't have fans, we're not going to have a season. And I don't think they want to have another Island Games. I, I, I mean, financially, I don't know if they can do it. No. But I think Jeff Hunt is right that I, they need to have fans this season at some point of building that i don't think they can play behind closed doors especially with the travel that goes on i mean you have teams specific i don't go to halifax i just don't see how they can do that with no money coming in i i think may 
we probably won't have fans, but I think as we hit the summer, we can probably have some fans coming in. I mean, you look at TD Place as a 20,000-seat arena. I'm sure you can fit like 2,000 socially distanced. So I I do believe a league will happen. I think they're going to have to take some cuts somewhere, but I'm not really sure where. But I think we're going to be playing at our own stadiums and probably schedule be fit in the early stages where you're not traveling as much. So we might probably see a lot of Forge versus Ottawa and Forge versus, I mean, on Ottawa versus York versus, you know, games like Ottawa and Pacific or maybe longer road trips where you go Ottawa, Edmonton, Pacific, and then back to Edmonton, stuff like that. Yeah. I wonder if you're right. Cause um, you know, it feels like a, a season has to happen this year. Um, like, I don't think they can really, like, I don't think the league can afford to, to not have a season with, or like have a season with no fans. Uh, you know, such a ticket revenue driven league. I am kind of curious if they'll if they'll start uh, with no fans and uh, under the assumption that like, you know, they will have fans at some point, you know, um, and just kind of place their bets. I think they'll only start if there's like a clear timeline of when fans will come back. So I think if the league knows like, okay, at June we'll have fans, then they'll start. But if it's like, oh, maybe I, I don't see the league taking that gamble. Have you thought about like what might be some cool ways to put on a season? Like if it is going to be like an abnormal season, if it's, if it's not going to look the way that, you know, they want it to ideally, have you thought about, um, you know, what might be some new things that they could do? I mean, it's hard, right. With, with a pretty new league and this thing going on, but I, I like what they did last year with the ECPL with the FIFA games, how it really created a hype. I was really surprised that a lot of people were tuning into the, the games and it's, the fans were having a rivalry. I remember Ottawa was playing Halifax and Halifax fans were trolling Ottawa fans and vice versa. So, <laughs> I mean, something like that, like have, you know, e-game, e-sports going on at the same time or other events, trying to help the the youth soccer, if that's going on, trying to get them more involved. You know, it, it's really hard to be creative because we're such a big country here. And, I, and with the rules, it just, I mean, with the rules, who knows, we might be able to watch at bars, watch parties, but we can't, go to the stadium to watch it's just it's just really weird so i don't know if it's a i'm my opinion is for away games we should just have watch parties that lands down lands down again like what we did for the island games if ottawa's out west during that afternoon obviously you can everyone goes to the stadium lawn chairs and watch on the screen that can drive some tickets as well yeah i don't really have anything to top of my head which could be really super creative yeah i mean like i think the key is the creating revenue through fans being able to buy tickets for some kind of socially distanced event um you know i hope it's for games um it might not be fair for uh you know places like halifax where you know they play in like a five six thousand seat stadium um so you know so they can only have you know maybe a few hundred or maybe up to a thousand whereas we could have you know six thousand spread over this gigantic stadium yeah, I wonder if they would have, um, so something I always think is maybe uh, if, you know, have like every team travel from like city to city and just like play every game in like every stadium and have a, you know, kind of feature each stadium over like eight weeks or something. And then, yeah, like what you were saying, every team at their homes could host some like watch parties and like, yeah, they'll take us to those, you know, you have to watch their team play. Actually, yeah, that actually would be a really cool idea of going from city to city, like little hubs. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and then that provides people a chance to go watch games before they can. And then that also provides a different timeline because different promises, different timelines with COVID. So exactly, if, yeah. You know, if BC is ready before, then they can have fans. People will play there. Maybe we can watch parties here. Then it slowly moves around Canada. And I think that actually would be a cool way to grow the league as well, gaining hype and being able to you know watch a bunch of games. It can also cover for last season where a lot of people missed. Well, exactly. Yeah, and like. Um, you know, that way you get like, you know, people can see their team playing in their own stadium. Um, and you could also have kind of like socially distanced festivals, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like soccer festivals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I had another thought. Um, so like the NHL had their, had their outdoor games at uh, Lake Tahoe, which was like, it was, it was super cool. Um, the ice quality was, was <laughs> garbage. I'm not sure if you saw that. Who knew the sun could melt ice? I know. I know. <laughs> like, I never thought about that. <laughs> no one saw it coming. Sun, hockey's mortal enemy. But it did get me thinking. Um, if the CPL were to do like uh, a game at, at a really unique venue somewhere in Canada, um, where do you think you would want to see like a really picturesque game played? 
All right. So if we're, you know, just imagining and not actually thinking about the cost of setting up, we're a not field. thinking about cost because nope, this is so, like we like we we like we realize this is stupid. Uh, it's it's right, going to so cost perfect. like more than the league, like uh, like more than the league budget. But like like money's no object. Where do you want to see a cool CPL game? So number one spot obviously is going to be in Canada, Ontario. I mean, it's, what a beautiful place there. But oh, it's the most beautiful place in the world. <laughs> Besides Stittsville, Ontario, it's the exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so Canada is the second prettiest place in the world. But for real answer, obviously, it has to be Banff, Albert. I mean, like that place, the scenery, I don't know what beats that. Um, again, you know, if you clear downtown out, playing right in the middle of the streets with the CN Tower in the background, that'd be pretty cool. Um, or PEI on the water and with the bridge in the background. Oh, the, oh, oh that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, a lot, of, not a lot of nice places in Canada. I mean, Canada's so big, you can go in the middle of the forest and probably have bears watching. So exactly, yeah. Um, so I obviously had more time to think about it. Um, <laughs> I um, I think they should go north, and the reason why is uh, I want them to play at this one particular island. I think it's called Hans Island, and um, it's between Baffin Island and Greenland. Oh, uh, you know about this one? Yeah, yeah. So it's the one where. Where I guess Canada and the Dutch, yes, uh, both they, lay claim yeah. to it. Yeah. So I figure if we play a game there, then it's like if we build a soccer field there, it's ours. Or just play a game against the Dutch for the rights. Winner, winner Boom. takes all. There we go. Boom. That's just how you see a lot of this. We're gonna have the Canadian national teams, Dutch national teams. I will make it men's, the Island. men's and women's. So it's exactly yeah. Yeah, find the scores. It's actually just an aggregate. I like that idea. We should write yeah. that down. That's how all wars should be played. <laughs> play soccer. Just play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So we're gonna change the uh, situation. So we're gonna think about a zombie apocalypse situation. Uh, so you're so you're very familiar with TD Place. Yes. You know you spent a lot of time there. I have too. Um. So under this zombie apocalypse you have to barricade yourself in either the north stands or the south stands at td place which one are you choosing to set up camp Ooh, i think it has to be south stands i mean north stands just a, a flat just seating like well, what are you going to do there just have to create a giant wall i mean south stands you can just hide little places a lot of different areas there i mean when i watch games obviously we're on the north side but i mean south side has to be better for zombie apocalypse just little little seating place different levels to it as well. So they can't really see you versus just North stand where it's just all the way down. You can, songs will get you everywhere. Huh? That's my answer right there. That's fair. I see your point with, you know, look, you know, having like the higher position to scope out the North stands though. Uh, I was thinking it's got, you know, cause it's got the civic center too. I feel like oh, it would have more supplies, right? You're right. Civic center. Oh yeah. That has to win it then. Cause the civic center, you, I forgot about that. You can just go through at the bottom, but Southside probably has better Wi-Fi. Ooh, it's, you know it's the more modern facility. That's it's true. Better Wi-Fi, but you know, but Civic Center. It's also, a tough one, and and you know you have the suites on the south side. True, but you have the hockey arena though. You can just go in the locker room. I know, but there's there's a lot to consider here. You oh, know, that's, actually that's a hard question. South side is newer, but North side is, has deeper roots in Ottawa. I, yeah, and I feel like it's got like more, like it's got more space. You know, it's it got does. More space, like, it does, and uh, you know you have like the you know, you're going to have food stashed away in concession stands, but you're also going to have even more in the civic center as well. Exactly. No, I so, think the civic you know, center. Sustenance. Yeah. The civic center has to, I forgot about that completely. Plus you can do laps. You can run around. You can do everything there. You can just hide. Yeah. I mean, the Wi-Fi is pretty good there. Hey, eh? the Wi-Fi is pretty good there. Unless. So the one thing, and I, and like, I don't know this and I've always wondered um, is if there's anything built underneath cheapskate Hill. Because I used to live near there as it was being built, and I don't know. I thought that there that there might have been something underneath that, there, and I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm hiding just, stuff like, there. A rumor. I think they're hiding stuff there. I, I don't think they like to chase people like, off the hill for a reason. Bunker. I don't know. A lot of people are drawn there for a reason. Who knows? Maybe just some magical powers there. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think we're. So you, are you going? I've changed my answer. I've changed my answer to North Side just because of the Civic Center. I can hide underneath the ice if I need to. Okay. So tell you, you take north, I'll take south, and Perfect. we'll just like, like work to connect the two. Exactly. Let's make a bridge yeah. over the top. Exactly. We'll work to like you know secure the underground parking because I think that connects both of them. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Or we just meet someone you know who lives in the uh 
condo tower. Too bad Jeff Hunt moved out. Could have used this. Jeff, up. come on, man. Jeff, man. Jeff. All right. So zombie apocalypse over. Perfect. Pandemic's over. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. You um and you've been to your first game in I don't know what it's gonna be if it's a, you know eighteen months or or two years whatever. Where are you heading to celebrate? Oh, yeah, gotta go on Bank Street, South on Bank Street, different part of the city, Byron Market. I think I'm gonna go to Joey's first, celebrate yeah. there, and then yeah, down at, and then after hit a Byron Market. Okay, and I then, mean you're 21 though, so that's really more it's really more your area. That's my area, you know. I know, I know there's a lot of bars around, but you know, Joey pregame, Byward another pregame, and just okay. see what the night takes it. Okay. I think I'm heading out into, uh, I think we can get some pierogies at House of Targ and playing some pinball. Ooh, that's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the questions I, I had for you. Uh, I guess I'll end with, um, you know, what do you, like, what makes you hopeful for the next year? Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see how this team grows in terms of the fan base. I mean, Right from the launch of the team, I saw how many more people were there and interested in the team and the talk around people who never talked to Fury were, you know, asking me questions about this new team. And I'm just excited to see how many people show up to the games and if there's a chance that it actually catches traction. Because, I mean, Ottawa is a soccer market. It's a huge city here. I mean, you look at 47, it's the amount of people playing from different countries all around. And if people are able to come and support this team, a lot of Ottawa could be the biggest team in the Canadian Premier League. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I guess Ottawa has a pretty, I mean, Ottawa is like what the fourth most populated city, but yeah, like fourth, fifth, we kind of, you know, we kind of do get up with Calgary, but I mean, we have a 20,000 seat arena. I want to see, you know, at least half of it filled and I think we can do it. And I'm just, I'm excited to see this team, you know, an actual professional team where you're playing against other Canadian teams and getting hyped around it and building rivalries with other teams, you know, going to road games. There's just so much to bring with it. And I'm really hopeful that we can at least see some fans in the stadium just to go back to normal a little bit. Just want to thank Eddie again for joining us. Um, and I highly encourage you, if you haven't been to his website, 613sports, somehow, 613sportsblog.com. Really great website. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, at 613 underscore sports. There's a YouTube page as well, podcast. They do it all. It's a must follow. Just do it. Uh, for part two of the pod, I reached out to Nicholas Ryan from Atletico Ottawa. As I said in the intro, the new Powered by Atletico program uh, that regional clubs can sign up to participate in. Uh, that's kind of his baby. So with three clubs already announced, definitely wanted to ask him about that. Uh, it seems like a really uh, important evolution in the pathway available f- uh, for soccer players in Ottawa. Um, I think when Atletico was first announced, um, obviously, you know, the pro club in Ottawa, you know, they're going to be the top dog in the region. But it sounds like this Powered by Atletico program, um, instead of making them kind of like an island on their own, this program feels like it's it's... It's maybe making bridges to this island and maybe making really important connections between them and all the regional and uh, as many regional clubs as as uh, is possible. Anyway, so we talked to Nick about that. Talk a little bit about Atletico's roster so far. So let's keep this going. Uh, here's Nicholas Ryan from Atletico, Ottawa. So Nick, part of scheduling our chat and working around your dog schedule, uh, I know this is supposed to be like a soccer podcast, but I feel very strongly that I need to know more about your dog. Um, what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Vezina, like the Vezina Trophy in the NHL, Okay, um, which goes to the, the top goaltender in the NHL. Um, so I always thought of it as a, a future daughter name uh, for for you know, maybe if I have a kid in the future, but the dog came first and uh, the fiance and I agreed on that as an awesome name. Um, so yeah, she's little Vez, Vezzy or, or Vezna is her full name. Right on. Uh, so what kind of dog? She's a mini golden doodle. She's very, she's about 15 pounds. She's filled with hair right now, but getting groomed uh, actually this afternoon. Okay. Uh, and uh, how old? She's uh, just turned three. And most importantly, is she a good puppers? She's a really good dog. Yeah, she's a, she's a great little pup, and uh, she has lots of personality. But she's uh, very very well behaved. Little uh, little yappy when when people come in the door, but um, I mean that's that's dog life. Right on. Yeah, yeah. I uh, well, I just got completely distracted. I was like, I need to ask about your dog. 
<laughs> awesome awesome <laughs> just actually no that's going to be my next video project will be just like soccer dogs that'd be awesome i mean uh back in the day the fury did the dog day at the at the at tv place right so um hopefully with athletic water we can we can have the dogs back in the stadium and you know maybe that could be a good feature for you uh that day that'd be fantastic yeah yeah um okay so now that i know about your dog i feel better about moving forward with this interview um, so you work for Atletico Ottawa, Nick, um, can you talk a little bit about your role within the club and, and like how you came aboard? Yeah, definitely. Um, so right now my, my title is director of, of ticket sales. Um, we're tight knit right now, small team. Uh, obviously we didn't play here in Ottawa this year, so we didn't have a whole chance to, to hire a bunch of people. Um, so I've been doing everything from anything you see that's the public facing stuff, uh, marketing, PR, uh, and then on the ticketing side as well, but we haven't had a chance to sell t- sell tickets. So I've actually kind of pivoted out of my uh, my role uh, that I got hired for, which is director of ticketing, and and moved into doing everything on the social, the marketing, the uh, PR, some of the player liaison stuff. Um, so you know, wearing a lot of hats right now, everything from the entry level jobs to the the you know executive level decisions, that kind of stuff. Um, but I did um, work for the Ottawa Senators for two years in the ticket sales role. And then prior to working for the Ottawa Senators, I actually worked for Ottawa Sports Entertainment Group, focused on uh, selling tickets for the Ottawa Fury, the Ottawa Red Blacks, Ottawa 67s. So I had, uh, you know, four years of, of ticketed sports entertainment experience, um, you know, worked events like the Grey Cup, uh, organized a, a ton of cool soccer events at TD Place. And, uh, you know, when I, when I left Ottawa Sports Entertainment Group and went to the Ottawa Senators, I kept falling back into soccer. I kept wanting to go to Fury games. You know, there'd be a Senators game that night that I'm supposed to work and there'd be a Fury game on the same night, like on a Wednesday, the few odd Fury games on Wednesday. And I would literally, you know, make sure all my people who have tickets are in the building at the Sens game and then, you know, drive right to TD Place and and get there for the second half of the Fury game. So uh, when the opportunity came up, I had the small connection with Jeff from working at uh, Ottawa Sports Entertainment Group in the past. Uh, asked him for a meeting. You know, we had a couple of meetings from there and, you know, I showed him how, how I was passionate about getting back into soccer and, you know, hoping, improve, hoping to improve the game in the city for, for all levels of soccer. And um, lucky enough to, to be granted the opportunity and been doing it for, for a year now. And again, not haven't been able to sell a ticket yet. So um, <laughs> not what I got hired for, but um, very rewarding, learning a lot of new things uh, and trying to keep, uh, you know, the Ottawa, Ottawa fans happy. And that's, that's no, uh, no easy task, but we're, we're getting there. And hopefully once we get on the field and, and, you know, things are smoothing out, we can, we can really prove to you what we've, what we've been building. I mean, uh, you know, the last year hasn't really made your job easy in terms of, you know, making us happy selling tickets, but um, uh, you know, it sounds like you've been doing some awesome work. And the main reason that I asked you on um, is because of the uh, newly announced powered by Atletico program, which is sort of in your, in your wheelhouse there. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that and, and what the program means for soccer in the region. Definitely. Um, it's, it's a newly announced, you know, pretty unique program to us, something we, we developed in conjunction with the, the team in, in Madrid. And the whole goal of the program is to, to grow soccer in Ottawa, to have more kids playing soccer in Ottawa and more kids exposed to the professional game in Ottawa. Um, as well as to create a, a direct path to professional soccer for, for all kids in Ottawa. Um, in addition to that, we, we really, you know, it's important for sports teams and, and organizations like ours to be out in the community and to be interacting and, and, and getting not only our name out there, but contributing back to the people who are going to hopefully contribute to our, our success here in the city. Um, so it, the whole, the program revolves around, uh, creating partnerships that with local soccer clubs, we're open to all sizes. Uh, you know, any clubs we want, we want kind of as, as many partners as possible in in the fashion that we can still give the most to them without spreading ourselves too thin. Um, so, and sorry, before I move any further, there's a whole nother portion that revolves around the the opportunity that having a parent club like Atletico Madrid presents, which is we have a lot of opportunity to to bring teams and, and kids and coaching staff to Madrid and to share the expertise from Madrid down to the, the 
soccer people in Ottawa, the, the teams in Ottawa, the coaches in Ottawa. So that's, that's a whole uh, large side of it that hopefully we'll get to realize in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, we've kind of realized it's probably not going to have a, a whole ton of benefit other than the online uh, interactions right now. But um, what we want to use it for is to, to get out in the community, to have the strong bonds with the community soccer clubs, because, um, you know, it's great to, to go and, and, and talk with all the people at the local soccer clubs and you say you're going to do all these great things, but until you, you put it on paper and you announce something like we're, we're working with this club closely to, to be out in their community, to get them to games, to give their kids an opportunity that may have not been there in the past in Ottawa. Um, it's a work in progress, to be honest, we're, we're still finding out how we're going to figure out to uh, engage them fully this year. Say if there isn't a, a, an opportunity for a lot of fans at games and uh, maybe, you know, we're not allowed to go to community events and, and be, have our players there interacting with their players just due to the current situation. But um, we're, we're forming the bonds with the community. And as soon as we can, we're, we're going to be out there um, putting those, bonds into action and, and, and being out in the community so what's the like the goal for like the end result of this program to be so say you know you have a kid who's five six years old is with a club who's uh you know powered by atletico club moves through that club grows up um you know is the goal for basically like this kid has more opportunity to turn pro uh, or have up or have opportunities to turn pro because they've been with a club that's that's part of this program um, I think there's there's a whole lot of ways to measure if the program is successful or not. Um, one would definitely be having uh, an Antoine Copeland or uh, um, you know young players that grow, say they're 12, 11, 10 right now. We play our first season in Ottawa this year. Um, they start to see our product and, and develop and get more passionate in soccer and put more time in. And um, yes, definitely getting them on trial with the club, potentially awarding them with a contract, potentially having them join, uh, you know, Atletico Madrid Academy teams, whatever that looks like, that's definitely one portion of it. Um, I think there's, there's a whole other side of it. And that's really more the community side. You know, if we find one, two, three, four, five players that end up playing with Atletico Ottawa, that, that is phenomenal. That's definitely an important side of it. Uh, the other side is, you know, we want to see soccer participation in Ottawa grow. We want all the partner clubs and, and to be honest, every other club that maybe isn't a partner to see increase in membership because there's a professional soccer club here. Um, we also want those clubs to grow and be better and have, um, you know, coaches that know more and feel more comfortable coaching and providing new, new, you know, ways to, to practice and train because we've been there. We've had their coaches at our field. They've been training with Mista or um, our assistant coaches and our goalkeeper coach. So, there's a lot of ways to measure, you know, if it'll be successful, how it will be successful. Um, really, it revolves around the community aspect, uh, the growth of soccer in Ottawa, and then the pathway to professional soccer. So those would be, I would say, the three measurables. Um, if we can do 12, 14, 18, 20 community events in a season where we're there, we're at different fields every week or every two weeks, if we can have uh, Ottawa local players trial with the team and get a contract. If we can um, have all these clubs increase membership, those would be um, in a dream scenario. Those would be the, the three main uh, ways we would be able to measure success on this, the powered by athletic auto program. Um, is the target to get every regional club on board and like part of the program? See, we're, we're battling with that one a little bit because we only have so many resources at our disposal. We only have so much time with players and coaches and, um, ways to get out to all these clubs. We want to have a relationship with every club in the city. We want um, every club to feel like they're, they're recognized by us and, and, and we contribute to their success and they contribute to our success. Um, I don't think it's realistic to say every single club is going to be an official powered by Atletico Auto Partner just because there's, there's like 20, right? Um, we'd have to be one every single week going to their field with our players, which I, I just don't think is realistic, but we do want to develop the program to where we can have every club involved in some way, in some fashion, it's going to be unique to every club. Not every club is going to see benefits that other clubs are going to see from it. So it, it is, a, like I said, a work in progress on that front, but uh, any clubs that show interest, any clubs that want more information, any clubs that want to talk to us, uh, the doors open, um, 
there's I, I'm responding to the messages on Twitter about it on Instagram. I'm getting emails about it. So um, people know where to find us and uh, we're doing our best to, to interact with all these clubs through the Eastern Ontario district soccer association, which is, you know, from the top down where we're, we're looking to have, and we have in the past have, have town halls with all the clubs where, uh, you know, it's myself and, and the CEO and, and Jeff talking to all these clubs in a hole in, in a whole room where they can ask all those questions. Um, but I mean, I, ideally as many as possible, as many as we can fit in as many of the, that are interested um, in their own customized way can definitely be uh, powered by. Okay. So the release that, that was put up by the club uh, said that none of the clubs that take part in the powered by Atletico program should be conceived as being a reserve or a, uh, or a Academy side for Atletico. Uh, so OSU was announced. They were the first club. Uh, yep. And, and uh, the day that we're recording this, uh, you announced um, uh, that the Ottawa city soccer club um, is, uh, the, um, is the newest partner. Um, but OSU specifically, both their PLSQ teams are, are now branded OSU Atletico. Um, so I'm just curious, like what, um, you know, if they're, if they're not considered a reserve side or a academy side, like that seems like a pretty significant partnership though, to, to have them, you know, to have their, their top teams branded with Atletico. Yeah, it is. And, um, they were, they were great partners with us in our first year. Uh, we, we did a lot. They honestly helped us out a lot as we didn't have a ton of resources with our, our staff coming here from Spain not a lot of, you know, employees of the club, things like that, you know, it was a quick startup. We started in February. There were supposed to be games in, uh, in early May. Right. And yeah. even in early April uh, away games. So um, we needed all the help we could get. They stepped up. Other clubs stepped up as well. Um, we had you know, lots of great interactions with some of the big clubs in the city. Um, OSU Atletico is a product of a, a strong bond that we built over the summer with, uh, with OSU and, and wanting to show that, uh, you know, they're going to be a strong partner for us as we grow the club here. Um, it's more of a, a branding affiliation exercise. Affiliation might be the wrong word because, you know, Impact had an affiliation with the Fury and they sent players to us. It's not, that's not what I mean by it. I mean, it's more of a, a branding impact where, um, you know, there isn't any other clubs in the Ottawa area that have a PLSQ team. So yet right now. So, you know, there isn't going to be a position where uh, another club is say an Atletico name, plays a plays an OSU Atletico. So we thought they were kind of standing on their own. They have that caliber of team and um, gave them opportunity to put the, the Atletico name as a part of it. It's pretty, it, that's pretty much it, to be honest. Um, there isn't uh, the, and the whole reason we specified reserve team Academy, because um, it's, it's not something we, we are looking to do in the city. We're not looking to set up shop and, and start taking the, the registrations away from the, the, the other clubs in the city by putting up an academy. It's not, not part of the plan. Okay, so that was going to be my next question, actually, uh, was whether or not there was going to be some kind of academy set up. So that's not part of the plan. No, no, not at all. We're, um, we're here. We're the professional team in the city, and that's, that's what we need to focus on right now. So I want to shift gears a bit. Um, Atletico also recently announced uh, what players would be returning for 2021 uh, and who is not. So, ten, so the 10 players returning, Brandon John, Bastian Neffel, Milvan Kapoor, Keyshawn Ferdinand, Ben McKendry, VD Martinez, Antoine Copeland, Tevin Shaw, Malcolm Shaw, and Omar Bernardino. Uh, but three notables uh, not on that list. Malik Hamilton, who's moved on to North Carolina FC in USL League One, uh, and Ben Fisk and Nacho Zabal. Um, so to most fans, these all seem like players Ottawa would would want to keep and build around moving forward. Um, and so I was wondering if you'd be able to shed some light on on why Ottawa wasn't able to make it work with with these three players in particular. Yeah, I can do my best to, to definitely share some info. Like I said, we're, we're a tight team there. So um, the the thing, you know, we're really, first of all, we're really excited to have the, the players we have back. I think we, we announced nine re- returnees and then Keyshawn Ferdinand's a new player we announced right on loan. Um, so we're really excited to have all the players back and we definitely wish all the, uh, you know, non-returning players, the players that are out of contract, uh, uh, all the best in the future. Um, thank you for everything that they contributed to the club this year. Um, you know, in, in professional leagues and, and we saw it with, uh, you know, Ottawa Fury and USL, and we've seen it with a few other teams in the CPL and the going from 2019 to 2020, there is some roster turnover, uh, especially with a, a club like ours who, you know, we, we put together a roster in a very, very short amount of time. And then 
the the world flipped on its head and and we had to add a whole bunch of players last minute and uh, we didn't know when or where our season was going to be and and you know it was a ton of unknown so um, the roster we went into uh, the island games with while we were comfortable with it um, I'm sure you could see based on some of those games like uh, Mista left substitutions on the board right um, there was there was times where in in an ideal year with an ideal full roster we would have been uh, using all you know. I guess there's five substitutions, but, uh, you know, at least three substitutions to bring in some, some new players. Um, it's hard to say exactly every single reason why some of these players didn't come back. Um, I think the, the thing to focus on is there's, there's a lot more to come uh, in terms of this roster and, and what we've built. And um, fans are going to be very excited with some of the, the, the new crop of players that's going to join the roster. Uh, I can guarantee that. Um, yes, there's going to be some notable emissions, um, as there is with, with a lot of clubs that go year to year to year, uh, especially for us in a year where we haven't even been a club for a year, we played seven games, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, pedigree to, to put that behind. So, um, well, some of the, the favorite players and our first captain, you know, may not be coming back in, in 2021, there's a lot to look forward to and, uh, just be a little patient. We just need a little bit of patience. Um, and, and everyone I think is going to come out very happy. Um, we, we do wish we could have made things work with some of these players, but, um, it's just the way that, uh, the world of signing players and, and, uh, roster turnover kind of works at, at this level. It's, uh, it's, it's exciting to be honest for me. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of good things down the road that are going to, that are going to pop up for us. Good things down the road. Like are there, are there players who have agreements with the club right now who haven't been announced that might be on um, their way. We, we have some uh, players in the, uh, in the hopper here that uh, we're working on announcements for. Okay. Um, like in a normal year, it might be. And, and sorry, unless you be, um, I heard your dog a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Someone rang the doorbell. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> all good. And, and keep in mind, um, you know, with our coaching staff that came here, they're all from Spain. Same with our, our, our boss, like my boss, uh, Fernando, like they're from Spain and, and the CPL only had one season before they got here. Um, you know, they're not super familiar with the way that the games played in Ottawa, right. Or in, in Canada as well. And CPL soccer. Yes. I'm sure they watched game footage and, and, you know, they're all soccer professionals. They've all been involved. Yes. They, they have a good idea, but, um, there was a lot to learn in that first year for everyone, right. For our whole, our whole team. So, um, I think they're taking a lot of the things they learned and, and they're going to put it to a, a really good team going in 2021. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things about this past year is that, you know, it, like it's not just Atletico, it's, it's, it, uh, it's, it's everyone who's, who's having to learn uh, like how to do business during a pandemic. Like no, like mm-hmm. no one's had to do that before. Like, I guess my question is like, what, I mean, that's gotta be a challenge to, to run a club in a pandemic. Um, yeah. like what, like, like what challenges have you, uh, has that presented to you that might not be so apparent to people on the outside? Yeah. First, I mean, huge props to the, to the, to the Canadian premier league for, for what they did this year, uh, having a second year league, um, and, and being able to set up shop in a, a province that there isn't even like a, a team that, that we have in the league, uh, and putting together an awesome show like the Island games was. I thought it was phenomenal. There, there's some leagues, you know, in the world that, that didn't get to play. If you look at the, you know, and kind of a weird example for a soccer guy, but like the national lacrosse league just had to shut it down and they didn't, they didn't play the rest of their season. And then they've canceled their 2021 season. And it's just, it's kind of a product of what's going on right now. Um, the CPL and it's along with the owners of all the teams, you know, everyone came together to make this awesome event happen. And so we had Canadian professional soccer in 2020. And I think that's really important to, to going to 2026 to continuing the, the league after a, you know, a pretty successful 2019 season. Um, the league also gave us a, an opportunity to sell what was called the collective. Um, so it, it gave us an opportunity to drive some revenue for the club, which is, which is really important in the first year. Um, so that was something that, I luckily got to sink my teeth into and, and, you know, I didn't get to sell tickets, but we got to, we got to put the collective out there and there's still some stuff to, to be delivered on that, um, which, which we have and will come. We're going to put a really awesome mural up uh, at TD place. Um, but there, there was definitely a ton of challenges. I mean, the, it starts off with the story everyone's heard a million times, but the team last flight out of Madrid 
to get to Ottawa, you know, that's, that's a challenge. How do you, how do you come up with that? Right. I mean, I don't know how many uh, new franchises in professional sports around the world started in 2020, but if, if we got us all in a room, I'm sure we'd all sit there and, and, and really talk about how it's the, the weirdest year to start a brand new franchise. Um, I think overall, Canadian professional soccer, the CPL, um, you know, did a great job to get through this. And, and we, we really hope that there's the opportunity to, you know, have fans and, and play games at home and all that kind of stuff. And I think there, I think there will be, I'm hopeful. Um, and we're still discovering the new challenges every day. Um, you know, it, it's, I'm sure there'll be something that comes up uh, in a few days, you know, if we're, we're looking to have training camp where it's obviously had always been planned to be in Madrid. What are, what are the challenges going to be if, if we end up going ahead with that? So um, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things that's the, that still come up, but um, the, the Canadian premier league and uh, the team in Madrid and uh, the ownership here really, really made it not, I don't want to say easy, but, we, we really worked together. Everyone came together to accomplish his, the, the weird challenges and, and the things that came up uh, trying to start a professional soccer franchise during a uh, worldwide health uh, crisis. That was Nicholas Ryan from Atletico Ottawa. Of course, we want to thank him for joining. Uh, some really great info there about the Powered by Atletico program. Uh, and it also sounds like we're going to get some, uh, some more player confirmation soon. And uh, interesting tidbit that uh, uh, that the club is not planning on starting a academy. Academy not in their plans. If you have any thoughts about um, anything that came up in the conversations with Nick uh, or with the conversation with Eddie, uh, let us know. You can reach out at the Step Over Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can email too if you want at uh, the Step Over Podcast at gmail.com. And that will do it for this week's episode of the Step Over. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, please like and subscribe. Uh, apparently, if you give this podcast a good rating, I guess that helps. I hear that at the end of all these different podcasts. I should really look this up and maybe find out exactly what I should be doing. But I'm going to parrot what they say. Uh, so like, subscribe, give five stars if you want. There's no pressure, but I'd love it. Anyways, look for our next episode. It's going to be a great one. Until then, we'll see you. Bye.